Chapter sixty four of Is He Popenjoy? This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bob Srigley, Charlottesville, Virginia, USA. Is He Popenjoy? by Anthony Trollope. Chapter sixty four. Conclusion. It is now only necessary that we should collect together the few loose threads of our story which require to be tied lest the pieces should come unraveled in the wear. Of our hero, Lord Popenjoy, it need only be said that when we last heard of him he was a very healthy and rather mischievous boy of five years old who tyrannized over his two little sisters, the Lady Mary and the Lady Sarah. Those, however, who look most closely to his character think that they can see the germs of that future success which his grandfather so earnestly desires for him. His mother is quite sure that he will live to be prime minister, and has already begun to train him for that office. The house in Munster Court has, of course, been left, and the Marchioness was on one occasion roused into avowing that the family mansion is preferable. But then the family mansion has been so changed that no Germain of a former generation would know it. The old dowager who still lives at Manor Cross has never seen the change, but Lady Sarah, who always spends a month or two in town, pretends to disbelieve that it is the same house. One of the events in Mary's life which astonishes her most is the perfect friendship which exists between her and her eldest sister-in-law. She corresponds regularly with Lady Sarah, and is quite content to have her letters filled with the many ailments and scanty comforts of the poor people on the estate. Lady Sarah is more than content to be able to love the mother of the heir, and she does love her, and the boy too with all her heart. Now that there is a Popenjoy, a coming Brotherton, of whom she can be proud, she finds nothing in her own life with which she ought to quarrel. The ladies Susanna and Amelia also come up to town every year, very greatly to their satisfaction, and are most devoted to the young Marchioness. But the one guest who is honoured above all others in St. James Square, for whose comfort everything is made to give way, whom not to treat with loving respect is to secure a banishment from the house, whom all the servants are made to regard as a second master, is the dean. His lines have certainly fallen to him in pleasant places. No woman in London is more courted and more popular than the Marchioness of Brotherton, and consequently the dean spends his two months in London very comfortably. But perhaps the happiest period of his life is the return visit which his daughter always makes to him for a fortnight during the winter. At this period the Marquis will generally pass a couple of days at the deanery, but for the greater part of the time the father and daughter are alone together. Then he almost worships her. Up in London he allows himself to be worshipped with an exquisite grace. To Mrs. Houghton the Marchioness has never spoken, and on that subject she is inexorable. Friends have interceded, but such intercession has only made matters worse. Of what nature must the woman be who could speak to any friend of such an offence as she had committed? The Marchioness, in refusing to be reconciled, has never alluded to the cause of her anger, 
but has shown her anger plainly, and has persistently refused to abandon it. The Marquis has become a model member of the House of Lords. He is present at all their sittings, and is indefatigably patient on committees, but very rarely speaks. In this way he is gradually gaining weight in the country, and when his hair is quite grey, and his step less firm than at present, he will be an authority in Parliament. He is also a patterned landlord, listening to all complaints, and endeavouring in everything to do justice between himself and those who are dependent on him. He is also a patterned father, expecting great things from Popenjoy, and resolving that the child shall be subjected to proper discipline as soon as he is transferred from feminine to virile teaching. In the meantime, the Marchioness reigns supreme in the nursery, as it is proper that she should do. The husband now never feels himself called upon to remind his wife to support her dignity, since the dancing of the Kappa Kappa she has never danced, except when on grand occasions she has walked through a quadrille with some selected partner of special rank, and this she does simply as a duty. Nevertheless, in society she is very gay and very joyous, but dancing has been a peril to her, and she avoids it altogether, pleading to such friends as Mrs. Jones that a woman with a lot of babies is out of place capering about a room. Mrs. Jones remembers the Kappa Kappa and says little or nothing on the subject, but she heartily dissents from her friend, and still hopes that there may be a good time coming. The Marquis remembers it all, too, and is thoroughly thankful to his wife, showing his gratitude every now and then, by suggesting that Captain and Mrs. De Baron may be asked to dinner. He knows that there is much for which he has to be grateful, though the name of Mrs. Houghton is never on his tongue. He has not forgotten the way in which he went astray in Berkeley Square, nor the sweet reticence of his wife, who has never thrown his fault in his teeth since that day, on which, at his bidding, she took the letter from his pocket and read it. No man in London is better satisfied with his wife than the Marquis, and perhaps no man in London has better cause to be satisfied. Yes, Captain de Baron and his wife do occasionally dine together in St. James Square. Whether it was that Mrs. Montacute Jones was successful in her efforts, or that Gus was enabled to found arguments on Jack's wealth, which Jack was unable to oppose, or that a sense of what was due to the lady prevailed with him at last, he did marry her, about a twelve-month after the reading of the will. When the Marchioness came to town, before Popenjoy was born, he called and was allowed to see her. Nothing could be more respectful than was his demeanour then, nor than it had been ever since, and when he announced to his friend, as he did in person, that he was about to be married to Miss Mildmay, she congratulated him with warmth, not saying a word as to past occurrences. But she determined that she would ever be his friend, and for his sake she has become friendly also to his wife. She never really liked poor Gus, nor perhaps does the captain, but there have been no quarrels, at any rate no public quarrels, and Jack has done his duty in a manner that rather surprised his old acquaintances. But he is a much altered man, and is growing fat, and has taken to playing whist at his club before dinner for shilling points. I have always thought that in his heart of hearts he regrets the legacy. Whether despite his son, or at the urgent entreaty of his wife and doctors, Lord Gosling has of late been so careful that the gout has not had a chance of getting into his stomach, 
Lord Giblet professes himself to be perfectly satisfied with things as they are. He has already four children. He lives in a small house in Green Street, and is a member of the Entomological Society. He is so strict in his attendance that it is thought that he will some day be president. But the old lord does not like this turn in his son's life, and says that the family of de Guise must be going to the dogs when the heir has nothing better to do than to attend to insects. Mrs. Montacute Jones gives as many parties as ever in Grosvenor Place, and is never so well pleased as when she can get the Marchioness of Brotherton to her house. She is still engaged in matrimonial pursuits, and is at the present moment full of an idea that the minister from Saxony, who is a fine old gentleman of sixty, but a bachelor, may be got to marry Lady Amelia Germain. Mary assures her that there isn't the least chance, that Amelia would certainly not accept him, and that an old German of sixty, used to diplomacy all his life, is the last man in the world to be led into difficulties. But Mrs. Jones never gives way in such matters, and has already made the plans for a campaign at Killancodlem next August. I regret to state that Messrs. Snape and Cachette have persecuted the poor baroness most cruelly. They have contrived to show that the lady has not only got into their debt, but has also swindled them, swindled them according to law, and consequently they have been able to set all the police of the continent on her track. She had no sooner shown her face back in Germany than they were upon her. For a while she escaped, rushing from one country to another, but at last she was arrested on a platform in Oregon, and is soon about to stand her trial in an English court. As a good deal of sympathy has been expressed in her favor, and as Mr. Philagunak Celebs has taken upon himself the expense of her defense, it is confidently hoped in many quarters that no jury will convict her. In the meantime, Dr. Fleabody has, I am told, married a storekeeper in New York, and has settled down into a good mother of a family. At Manor Cross, during the greater portion of the year, things go on very much as they used. The Marchioness is still living, and interests herself chiefly in the children of her daughter-in-law, born and to be born. But the great days of her life are those in which Popenjoy is brought to her. The young scapegrace will never stay above five minutes with his grandmother, but the old lady is sure that she is regarded by him with a love passing the love of children. At Christmas time, and for a week or two before, and a month or two afterwards, the house is full of company and bright with unaccustomed lights. Lady Sarah puts on her newest silk, and the Marchioness allows herself to be brought into the drawing-room after dinner. But at the end of February the young family flits to town, and then the Manor Cross is as Manor Cross so long has been. Mr. Price still hunts, and is as popular in the country as ever. He often boasts that although he was married much after the Marquis, the youngest of his three children is older than Lady Mary. But when he does this at home, his ears are always boxed for him. Of Mr. Groshut, it is only necessary to say that he is still at Pugsty, vexing the souls of his parishioners by sabbatical denunciations. The End End of Hizzy Popenjoy by Anthony Trollope